Welcome to Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I am your host, Josh Pappas. And as a reminder, I am the Director of Sales and Lead Early Health System Partnerships for Tendo. We're really focused on helping create a more consumer-driven patient experience. And that's why I'm very excited about this episode, welcoming two of what I would consider um, some of the gurus on the topic of consumer-driven healthcare. Um, for episode five, I welcome Jared Johnson and Zane Ismail. Jared is a excellent resource, part consultant, part thought leader, and um, he hosts the Healthcare Rap podcast, and he founded the Shift Health Content Network. And he's always given the industry a new perspective to think about, particularly around consumer-driven healthcare. Zane is the Director of Healthcare Consumerism and Network Experience for Avia, um, and where Avia, he helps drive Avia's business development and client engagement goals by creating community amongst the network of 57 health systems. And he also helps co-host the Healthcare Wrap podcast with Jared. These are two very seasoned individuals, and I look forward to diving into all the different segments and topic around consumer-driven healthcare. Make sure you go ahead and follow their podcast, The Healthcare uh, Wrap, as well as Shift Forward Health on wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And uh, make sure to like, review, and subscribe to the newsletter of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room wherever you get podcasts. Super excited and enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Jared and Zane. Uh, looking forward to having a special consumer-driven healthcare episode. So excited to have you guys on the podcast. And I guess uh, we'll go individually. Jared, you'll start and maybe then Zane. Um, brief intro for those of the, that don't know you and uh, would love to hear your origin story of why healthcare and then why consumer healthcare. They're wrapped into that intro. Want to go first, Jared? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Josh, for first and foremost for having us on. This is fun. I don't think the two of us have ever been guests on the same show before. So no, the script is flipping. The podcasters being what podcasted to. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I like it. Uh, I mean, brief origin story is I'm a uh, an advocate for consumer driven healthcare. So redesigning and rebuilding the parts of the healthcare experience that make it easier for consumers. And so uh, that came about as a result of close to 20 years in healthcare uh, from both the med tech side, medical device side, as well as the provider side, working numerous uh, roles in digital and marketing leadership positions uh, and, and seeing how that all sometimes stands in contrast with the business systems underneath healthcare. So I'm passionate about those things. I have uh, experiences in my own life uh, with loved ones that I'm like, man, that's a shame, you know, the, the system uh, went a certain way and, and things happened with them. So um, on top of that, I have a podcast channel called Shift Forward Health and Zane and I co-host uh, Healthcare Wrap, which is the uh, our, our flagship show on that channel. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, let's see. I got into, so Origin Store on my, on my side, uh, I got into healthcare really by way of hospitality. So when I was younger and still am very interested in like food and service and the art and science of making people feel welcome. Um, I thought I would go work for the Four Seasons at the Ritz-Carlton, um, but through a series of very fortunate events, 
I realized that my affinity for service could probably be better applied and frankly, higher compensated um, working in health systems and some of the work that I do today. And so, you know, at a, at a college, ended up working um, at a think tank at the Ivy Business School in London, Ontario, Canada, where we did a lot of work um, helping Canadians understand what high-performing health systems look like. From there, jumped into rural healthcare operations and helped a small hospital outside of Windsor, Ontario, reinvent itself. Did a lot of work in behavioral health there, and then, and then eventually came to the U.S. and got recruited to Henry Ford Health System, and then eventually where I'm at today um, with Avia Health Innovation, uh, you know, working with now you know a whole group of hospitals across the country to help uh, with their consumer transformation, and so. Again, sort of that hospitality and service experience combined with health services, I think made me, you know, a pretty good candidate to do some of the work that I'm doing today. And then, of course, a couple of years ago, Jared crossed my path and joined his podcast. So here we are. That's fantastic. And then I'm sure you shared, but what was the genesis of the healthcare rap podcast? I mean, in my mind, I have Jared you know, out there Eminem style in a, in a rap battle, you know, visiting you at Henry Ford, um, you know, just rapping about consumer driven healthcare, but I'm sure, you know, the actual story is a, l- a little, a little bit different. That would yeah, have been, we that, actually, yeah, that would have been better. <laughs> that's not how, we were actually connected <laughs> through a mutual friend and said, Hey, the two of y'all should know each other. And it was really at the height of the pandemic that we connected through zoom and to this day have never actually met in person. And so, We'll definitely let you know, Josh, when we actually do meet, we have a plan to meet this year. Um, but yeah, that's how it all started. Right. And the the rap part, so the intro to the podcast is a rap. It's about breaking down the silos and focusing on consumers and healthcare. It used to be about like digital and marketing, and now it's all about consumer first health. But uh, it originated in 2018. My original co-host was Peter Balistrieri. He and I were colleagues at, at a hospital uh, building up their digital and marketing capabilities and having conversations like, hey, well, uh, it's pretty clear one of the best ways for us to market this hospital would be make it easier to schedule an appointment with one of our providers. Uh, let's go see what how that's going to work and getting shot down immediately uh, to say, yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're not ready for that. So just having <laughs> conversations of like, is it them or is it us? And uh, we just started doing that once a week. And long story short, yeah, that was five years ago. Uh, but that's that's where it started from a, a hospital centric uh, perspective, just trying to see like, what, what can we learn here? What can we do? How can we help things progress? And that year, just a few months before the podcast started, I had uh, been asked to give a keynote at a conference at Johns Hopkins. And I, w- I get nervous when I do that. I will just say that, <laughs> but to kind of calm my nerves, I'm like, I'm just going to come out on stage and introduce myself by rapping and just changing the, the words to the uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And so That's I actually crazy. came out with a little thing, and they didn't throw me off stage, so I assume it went okay. But I was like, I'm actually going to try something like that again. That's that's the full origin story. And wow, I do not, <laughs> I do not contribute to the raps at all. Just to be clear at all that is not the contribution i make <laughs> that is fantastic well good guys well appreciate you having on you know the, the the origin story of this one is uh kind of that intersection of digital health sales but uh super focused in my day-to-day on consumer driven healthcare. so um before we jump in um you know the six topics that we have segments if you want to call them um but would love you know with the super bowl coming up 
um, I'm always interested, you know, what's kind of the most memorable when you think about an event, like you as a consumer, whether that's sports related or not sports related, like what's the most memorable event that you can think about as a consumer? Um, and then I'd, I'd love to share mine. Zane, you want to go first? Most memorable event. Hold on here. You know what? So I'm going to, I don't follow a whole lot of sports to be honest. So I'm going to talk about an experience I had at a restaurant not too far from uh, up here in Detroit. There's this Italian restaurant called Baco that when you walk in, these people don't know you from a hole in the wall. Mind you, it's an expensive Italian restaurant. These people literally make you feel like family. And so this whole team of waiter, like your head waiter, and then all his henchmen surround your table. The owner of the restaurant comes out and hugs and kisses you as if you were in Italy and you leave the place, you know, paying an exorbitant amount of money for pasta, but you love these people and you could, you feel like they love you and we go back all the time. And so when I think about one of the best service experiences, this would have to be it. And I wish health services would feel that way. They don't know what to do. It's really true. It's really true. And one thing I will tell you, one reason I always like, uh, I've enjoyed having Zane co-host with me is tying things back to moments like with mm-hmm. restaurants and hospitality and other ways, because that's how most people compare their healthcare experiences anyway. Uh, for me on mm-hmm. the sports side, so it's more of a moment than an event, but uh, it, it ties back to my roots growing up in Houston. So who's the team you're going to root for is the Astros. It's hard to even admit that on the air these days, because for those who don't know, and they won the World Series in 2017, the first time ever. It was like the best day of my life when they won. And then in 2020, they it was discovered that they uh, had had cheated. They had come up with a way to steal signs and with this elaborate scheme, bang a trash can from the jug, dugout. It was it was crazy. Uh, they got really good at cheating, basically. And uh, uh, ever since then, I almost don't tell anybody that that's who I rooted for. But then this last season, they all I wanted was for them to like be competitive after that because they had a good team. They didn't have to have cheated in my mind that season to win. And so this last season, they ended up winning the World Series again. And I just kind of felt like I was able to exhale a little bit and say, maybe it's okay to admit that I like this team. You know, I'd like to think that uh, maybe that makes me, maybe that means I'm loyal or open-minded because it's really hard to root for the the bad guys in the sport I've never had to before. But uh, when they won this last season, I was like, okay, at least they won, hopefully without cheating this time. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think you and then yeah, I guess there was, I read an article where like Mattress Jack, there's some like mattress owner in Houston that laid a big bet on the Astro. So you were happy. And then I think he won like something to the tune of $10 million. So I'm sure Mattress Jack was was, was happy. Um, I think for me, it was probably a moment too. You know, I grew up outside of Chapel Hill. So college sports were super big. And um, although I, it's, I'm like the weird kid that doesn't like Duke or Carolina, um, you know, back in the day, but I had the great experience to go to a Carolina Duke game at Cameron indoor. Um, and so, you know, those are to me, a perfect example of super, you know, super famous brands in the college sports arena. Um, Cameron indoor is kind of an iconic place for the game. And I couldn't tell you exactly what happened in that game, but I could still, you know, remember, you know, the, the, a, a lot of the, the scenery around there. So I uh, was super fortunate there. So appreciate you guys joining. And um, now we'll, we'll jump into some segments. So we do a top 10, bottom 10. And, um, you mm. know, normally this is people sharing their um, salespeople sharing their best and worst kind of, you know, sales experiences on the other side, health system. 
uh, kind of sharing their, you know, most memorable interactions with sales reps. So um, you could take it either way. Um, I know you, Zane, have some experience on the other side of the table. Um, you know, we, we could do that or feel free to answer it kind of your, your, your best or worst um, healthcare uh, experience as a patient, um, whichever way you want to go. But um, why, don't, why don't you start, Zane? Yeah, I think my top 10 sales experience working with salesmen or women, or I don't know what the proper term is anymore, vendors in the healthcare space, you know, really was through COVID. And so I think I can start naming names because I actually really appreciate them. But one of them was Genentech, which is a big pharmaceutical, and really appreciated that their sales team, you know, would almost like reach out every other week um, and not actually trying to sell drugs to us. I'm not even the right person. Like I'm very far, I was very far from pharmacy when I was working for Henry Ford Health System. But what I really appreciate about Genentech and Shelly Skinner, who, who leads the account, is they were always checking in on us genuinely. How are you doing? What can we do? Can we bridge a connection to you know, some of our diagnostic services to actually help with COVID response? Um, and then Genentech, which is owned by Roche, has a massive philanthropic arm. And so they're always wondering, hey, is there grants or people we can connect you to to get some funding to go on and do you know, community level testing or vaccination work? And so just really appreciated that they read the room and they weren't trying to pump their product, their, you know, their, their products that probably aren't very helpful or needed, um, but were still there to support us through that pandemic. So that was fantastic. And then, you know, during that season two, we get a lot of phone calls from, you know, random technology vendors, you know, trying to sell us scheduling solutions for vaccination clinics, when frankly, like that ship had sailed months ago. And so again, just not really, you know, some of these folks just not really paying attention to where we were at in, in the broader response. But again, the Genentech team, like really, you know, really stands out as people who generally like, cared about us as their client and knew when the appropriate time was to push for their business. And certainly after the pandemic and now, I believe we have a very fruitful relationship with Genentech because um, it's an appropriate time to do so. But at the time, we're really just there to take care of us where they could. So really appreciated that. No, that's really interesting because I think for, you know, for all the busy in your day, right, the fact that you remember, you know, the company, the people involved, I think that's a good, you know, lesson to all salespeople out there, particularly in a time, uncertain time that, you know, that type mm -hmm. of, you know, small little thing can have a serious impact. Uh, what about you, Jared? I pointed to times that I was pleasantly surprised by folks who were not anywhere on my radar screen. And it both happened within a few months of each other, ironically, both within a few months of launching the podcast. So I was at the time I was still working at a hospital and one day I got a package and it was from a, uh, from a sales rep at a SaaS company. And all he did was he just sent me a rhyming dictionary. He said, Hey, I saw on LinkedIn, you started this podcast and, and, and has a rap, uh, hope, hope you find this useful sometime. They were not on my radar at all. We ended up getting able to, uh, bring them in for a, for a visit and, and things. I just thought like that was so far out of left field. I had, I didn't know they knew who I was. It was fantastic. And then just a few months later at a conference, uh, I had finished doing a presentation and somebody, again, not on my radar screen, but worked at a print shop came up to me and, and handed me, said, Hey, check out the podcast. Uh, hope you don't mind. We grabbed your logo off the internet and made a couple of tumblers, uh, handed them for me and my co-host. 
at the time for me and Peter. And she's like, hope I don't mind. Hope you don't mind. Uh, like so out of left field, just, and, and I think the two lessons that still apply were they're personalized. They're, they're unexpected, but also like they both involved something tangible, like with everything being so virtual, it's really cool to have an excuse to have like something. I still have both those things. I still have the rhyming dictionary and the tumbler, like sitting, uh, sitting in my room. That's, that's, that's fantastic. And then I guess on the other side, Jared, you know, when, when now, you know, on that, on that point with, with everything being digital, you know, are there, are there, are there ways of communication, email or something that just doesn't, you know, resonate as much as, as much for you in your day to day? So I think LinkedIn can be the best. It can also be like, so the worst. It can just <laughs> be the place where I feel like people have found that as an excuse to not do their homework. And it doesn't take much skimming of my profile to know that I put out a lot of content. I'd love for people to engage with my content. You want to know what topics I, I write about. It doesn't take much. And so for people to even reach out and say, hey, what would you like, you know, uh, any, what topics interest you or whatever, like it doesn't take much homework guys, like a couple of minutes reading my profile. Uh, and so if anyone wants to be in my, in my world, in my ecosystem, all you have to do is engage with a little bit of my content. So I feel like LinkedIn has just given people a reason to bypass that and feel like they see all the info about me. So that's all they need. Whether, whether they're offering something that is useful to me or not, that goes like a million miles for me. I love the way you put it the best and the worst. Cause I, I, I completely agree. That could be a whole nother, um, you know, podcast topic. So, uh, so, so switching, switching gears here and, um, you know, we kind of do a segment on some leaders on the sales side, healthcare side, but this one, you know, the healthcare consumer dream team. So, you know, what are maybe five influential leaders, um, for each of you that have either shaped the way that you think about healthcare consumerism, um, or are kind of, you know, health system leaders that are in your mind leading the way on this consumer driven healthcare journey. Um, so maybe we can um, start with you, Jared, if you have a couple and then I'll switch over to Zane. Uh, sure. So the first one that came to mind when you asked that question was Jane Saracen Khan. Her website is health is healthpopuli.com. She's a health economist. And I feel like the mm. biggest value to every healthcare leader right now is opening their vision and understanding how consumers make healthcare choices. And that means they're not just choosing between hospital A, hospital B, Dr. A, Dr. B. They're choosing between all the retailers that are out there now offering bits and pieces. And it's not this just like continuous, contiguous journey that we're on. And you're going from this area of the same health system to this other area. It's whatever you need at the time that you need it. So uh, Jane has written, uh, several books about it, but she's just one of those. She's a trend weaver. She's at the forefront and she will, she will tell you what to do there. So uh, I feel like everyone needs her perspective. And then another one I'd, I'd put out there is Ann Summers Hogg. She's a senior research fellow at Clayton Christensen Institute uh, and spent a lot of years uh, at, at Atrium Health and their innovation uh, team and is a champion of uh, of Clayton Christensen's theories of, uh, of disruptive innovation, as well as uh, human-centered design and design thinking and using that to really focus on what the drivers of health are. So uh, I'll, I'll stop there. Couple that come to mind, come to mind on my end. Um, the first would be a gentleman by the name of Gerard Van Grinsven, who go figure. 
used to be the vice president of food and beverage for the Ritz-Carlton, and he became the CEO of the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And now today, I'm not exactly sure what his titles are. I believe he's operating as a kind of consultant at large, but he's been leading a group you know, of folks who are very much interested in hospitality, real estate, sort of the futures of senior living and healthcare, and trying to, you know, you know, I think it looks like, you know, build some new, um, like, you know, residential concepts with a healthcare component, but very, very focused on that, that hospitality level experience. And so I like to follow a lot of his content on LinkedIn and the folks he surrounds himself with just to continue to stay, you know, sort of grounded in, I guess, my own upbringing in hospitality. The other person that I spent a lot of time listening to is a gentleman by the name of Scott Galloway, who's not actually, you know, a healthcare expert. He's more on the marketing side. So I listen to his podcast and read his books. And what I love about him, Josh, is he spends a lot of time sort of analyzing the big companies like the Netflix, the Googles of the world, the Amazons of the world, um, you know, talking about their platform strategy, all things that are very relevant in healthcare now. And of course, he makes some predictions around healthcare and rightfully predicted that groups like, uh, or forecasted that groups like Amazon and so on would get into the space. And so I, I listened to him as someone who's an outsider to our industry in a sense, but can still like speak to first principles and make some, I feel like he can see through the fog because he's not caught up in the minutia of our own buzzwords and ridiculousness that happens. And then there's three others who I follow. And, you know, one of the contributions I try to make to our healthcare podcast is being the Canadian on the team and having worked in uh, health systems in Canada. But there is unbelievable digital health talent in Montreal. And I feel like a lot of Americans and your listeners need to know that. And so my good friend, uh, Danina Kapitanovic and uh, Kathy Mala and Luc Sirois, who all essentially work, you know, either at the Ministry of Health level in Quebec or work for the University of Montreal or the Jewish General Hospital. These three, in a lot of ways, are making huge moves um, in the digital health ecosystem in, in that region, working inter interinstitutional, teaching human-centered design. And, and Canada is like very far behind as a relative to the United States. And so I just very much applaud what they're doing. And, and, and in Canada, when you start to do some of the things we talk about here in the US, you don't just work with one hospital, you have to work with a whole slew of them and then also work at the policy level. And so I just really appreciate um, sort of that zoomed out view that they have to take and some of the moves that we're making that I think we can learn a lot about um, here in the US. And so definitely keep Montreal on your radar for cool, cool stuff happening. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, um, Jared, any, any any other ones that, that, that come to mind? It's okay if you don't. Uh, I, I think that covers that. That's a, that a great cross section. I mean, we have a whole community called the Consumer First Health Group that I feel like mm. I need to mention everyone in mm -hmm. there and there's over a hundred people in there. So like, I, I feel like yeah, no, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should post the last we'll, we'll, we'll I was just going to say, we'll, we'll make sure and find the link so that, you know, cause it would, it would be endless. And I would, I would definitely include you two on there um, for sure. All right. Well, perfect. So, you know, we do a uh, sports theme, you know, MJ versus LeBron debate. Um, so we kind of debate different topics around, you know, build versus buy in IT. It's kind of your classic debate uh, that happens, you know, around sports and playgrounds, you know, over there. And um, so for, for you guys, I was interested, and this is a very kind of loaded 
uh, topic, but uh, consumer versus patient, right? And I think um, what's interesting about that one is how it's evolved from when you guys first started this journey and then where do you see it, um, you know, kind of kind of evolving in the eyes of a lot of the, the healthcare um, system and people. So take it with wherever you want to go, but that's kind of the consumer versus patient. Uh, I, you want to get started, Zane? Yeah, I think, you know, in, you know, where it started, I remember going to a meeting when I was still working in Canada and I was very young then, well, still I'm young, but younger then. And I made the mistake of referring to patients as health consumers and literally a physician yelled at me and said, what the heck, you know, why are you speaking this way? And so I'm excited to see that, you know, at least with the stakeholders I work with now, you know, this whole lingo about patients, you know, more broadly being health consumers is finally catching on. And I think people are getting, are getting, um, you know, getting the notion and understanding what we mean by that. And we're not trying to discredit physicians or discredit sort of the clinical identity and needs of patients. Um, and I think what's driving that, which makes me really happy is, you know, a lot of these disruptors who are jumping into the space, Amazon, you know, Google, CBS, you name it, who truly come come at this with more of a consumer, consumer, you know, typical customer um, perspective are finally starting to make legacy health system leaders realize that they need, they need to get on this game as well and start thinking like a normal for-profit publicly traded company would think about servicing their customer base. And so that's exciting. And I do think it's going to continue. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but curious what you think, Jared. Yeah, well, it's a very real debate. I mean, I'm glad you asked us this because it's preventing us from making more progress. We're getting stuck in these definitions and it's limiting our ability to have a real conversation about points that are going to get us to a better place quicker. And what I mean by that is, is uh, I hear this all the time. There are providers uh, who rightfully so, both terms have come from good places, I feel like, the term consumer and the term patient. The term patient connotes the dignity of the care that's happening from a clinician in a care setting. There is a dignity to that. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of science behind it. Uh, there is no disrespect to that in using the word consumer. And yet, that's what happens a lot. The, the common concern is, how dare you? refer to them as a consumer, like to Zane's point, you know, how, you know, providers are most commonly are the ones who are saying, how dare you refer to them that way? Like they're my patient. I care for them. I'm treating them. And the goal in my mind of using the word consumer is to not take away from that at all. It's actually to build upon that and actually help us do that part even better. But the word consumer in my mind is the one I focus on to use because people in a health, in a health system or a hospital setting to, uh, we, we, they need to focus on the time that somebody's actively being seen by a, a clinician. So that's the time that you're a patient for most people. And I always want to have that caveat too. Uh, there are, there are many, there are millions of patients who are chronically ill and are truly continually patients and encountering the healthcare system on a daily basis. So, uh, not taking away from that at all. There's this definition of this understanding that just needs to happen of all the healthcare choices that happen when you are not being actively seen by a healthcare professional. And those are the parts that the business systems underlying the healthcare system right now, were not equipped to deal with. They, they weren't set up to make things easy. They weren't set, to, set up to make things at a reasonable cost. Mm -hmm. That's why we have to have insurance and health plans in there taking on risk. 
because the health, the business systems underlying it weren't set up for that. They weren't set up. It was just like, hey, you're in the system. We're going to tell you who the doctor is. We're going to tell you what you need to have done, and you're going to pay that bill. And that's all it was. So now as other options have emerged, the other place people get stuck in that debate is thinking, well, I don't want to call them consumers because they're not usually the person who, who pays for it. The consumer is really the person who pays for it. So it's the health plan or it's the government. And that also limits our ability to have a true discussion here because, yes, those parts are important, but those parts are covered in other discussions. The, the conversation that's the most useful for us, for consumers of healthcare right now, which is all of us, is to recognize that the system is not very easy and the business systems that underlying it that are underlying it are making it that way. So what can we do to make it easier? What steps can we take? How can we partner together? Can digital health, can virtual primary care startups and health systems all coexist for the love? Like let's, let's do that. So that's kind of where, where it gets into uh, the weeds and, and let's not get lost in, in one or the other. We are all consumers all the time. We're patients some of the time. That's actually a really yeah, good well, way to put it. I was going to say, well, well, well said, and that's a perfect, you know, segue for, you know, what are those predictions? I know that you guys, um, you know, look a lot at different companies or different trends. I'm so interested in kind of, you know, each of you's top three, either, you know, healthcare predictions for what the next, you know, kind of five years or one or two years are going to look like, or, you know, companies that might be involved in, uh, in helping change that. So uh, why don't we start with you, Zane? Ooh, let me look into my crystal ball. Um, I think, <laughs> and I think I said this on our prediction episode, which I will tell my own horn, have the habit of being right, sort of. It does. Um, one thing, Jared can speak for this. One thing, and I'll say it here, we've already said it, is, you know, I think the future of consumer-driven healthcare is really just going to be, like, con more community-focused and aligned healthcare. And so if you zoom out and, like, realize where we are in, in this country around budgets and where the government is broke again, you know, we just hit our debt ceiling, all that, you know, in, you know, putting all that together, I really do think that potentially legacy health systems have gone too far when we think about these massive now conglomerates of health systems, mergers, you know, we know what they're trying to do is get scale and decrease their cost. But what's, the, what has happened, at least the public feels like what has happened is it's come at you know, at, at, at the cost of those health systems being more actually rooted and connected in their community, similar to what you would see in Canada. Um, and, and not to mention many of these health systems have preferential status with the government that don't pay taxes. And in, in, in effect, the rest of us are subsidizing them. And then when you pile on, you know, the helicopter, you know, helicopter cash dumps they've received through COVID, which you know, certainly they needed. I think that whole value equation is finally coming before the eyes of Joe Public and realizing that this isn't working. And so I, I do think, you know, maybe not tomorrow or in two years, but like at some point, I think health system leaders are really going to be held to account for where is this money going and what are you doing with it? And then what, what types of services are actually de delivering in this community such that you feel like you shouldn't be paying taxes? And so I think... That whole, you know, you know that that whole system is going to be looked at, and I wouldn't be surprised if some communities, 
you know, we'll start to advocate for some of these big hospital systems to be dismantled and we'll sacrifice scale and maybe maybe a few points of efficiency to just have these things actually serve the geographic community as opposed to just big, broad insurance populations. So that's one thing that I'm looking for. And there's already been some signals in the marketplace. You see, I think it was Forbes and some of the big articles that have gone out, you know, highly criticizing executive pay. Um, a few reports have gone out showing, you know, the gap in, um, in community benefit reporting versus what the hospital didn't pay in taxes. And so I think that's something we don't often talk about in the digital health space because it's not exactly related to digital health, but it's, I think it's gonna be a big trend in the background that we need to be watching. And so any, any tools and services that can help health systems demonstrate that they're here for this community and actually helping people beyond just delivering clinical care, I think will be very relevant um, to boards and executives um, to show that they're they're in that game. And so that would be one random prediction that I would put out into the universe. Nice. Nice. Uh, I guess we just riff back and forth, right, Zane? I think uh, the yeah. the investments from retail companies will mm -hmm. continue to go up. Those aren't going away anytime soon. So you look at the escalation too. So Amazon bought one medical for $4 billion. CVS bought Signify Health for $8 billion. Village MD bought Summit Health for $9 billion. And now CVS bought Oak Street or is buying Oak Street or is planning to. Is that for uh, sure? At I, least I they, they, they made the bid now. apparently for, for Oak Street okay, for $10 cool. billion. So those aren't going away. And those aren't just, hey, uh, we have a slight interest in these things. No, CVS wants to have an entire primary care infrastructure that can scale nationwide. That's why they're doing this. Signify Health also at the same time at home care. Uh, that could be a, an actual continuum of care that all happens outside the hospital. And do they need to get into acute care? No, they really don't. I don't think that's part of their value chain. So retail investments are gonna keep going up. What does that mean? At some point that affects the growth engine for health systems that have put all those chips in the middle of the table uh, of primary care. That's what gets you in to see their specialists who are on their plan. So that's just gonna have an effect there. Uh, and then the second one uh, for me is what that leads to is, and, and there are health, health systems, we're generalizing a lot, we're painting with a really broad brush. There are some really innovative health systems out there right now that are doing amazing things that are putting together a more digital, cohesive, connected patient experience. And though it's truly going to become a competitive advantage to be able to say, look, we removed some friction from the way that you encounter a doctor here. We made it easier for you to pay your bill, to understand your bill, to contact us. Uh, we're not going to charge you to message us in my chart, you know, or whatever the thing is. Um, we're compensating that or whatever it is, but experience is going to become a competitive advantage. Those have been buzzwords for a little while, but you're going to see innovators and early adopters at least truly invest in that and, and make a difference. I guess are we going, are we, sorry, are we going, Fantastic. are we going three no, a piece I... or, uh, <laughs> that's a, I guess that's quite a few already. I don't know, Zane, you got, you got, you got, you got any more? Cause I, I, I appreciate those Jared. And I, I think that what you hit was, 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 was spot on. Anything more to add beyond, you 
know, just opining on Jared's comment around ex experience becoming the competitive advantage. That's certainly what's happening now. And then probably a few years down the road, I would describe it as like relationship will be the competitive advantage. And so how do you, how do health systems similar to like an Amazon Prime relationship, you know, keep people constantly engaged in their services or what other services might they need to procure so that there's a daily reason why I would engage with a healthcare provider. Um, I think I think that's going to be an opportunity. A great example, I think it hit the news not too long ago, but you know, a health system like MultiCare, and they they created a product called Indigo, which is an urgent care, you know, similar to almost like a one medical ish, and you know, they've partnered with ninety eight point six to do some of that technology work. So again, great example of like health systems leading the pack, working with disruptors to really make. Um, you know, those highly personalized and convenient experiences uh, like Jared describes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because, I mean, I think I've been in the fortunate on the other side of the seat, but have worked, sure. um, you know, and at Bioformis and now with Tendo with some really innovative, you know, system leaders, service line leaders, executive leadership, and um, they're, they're, they're certainly there. And um, all, all of what you just described, Jared, to me in my, you know, sales mind is, how are we going to quantify? Uh, how are we going to quantify ROI? Right, and it is rapidly changing. And I think both on the other side, organizations internally, but also too, you know, vendors are, are really going to have to be dynamic and like truly tracking, you know, some of those both in real time. I think it used to be a legacy spreadsheet, and you could go and it could go on, you know, budget or cap table or things like that. But now it is truly going to be working, you know, not only with your own internal system but other vendors to, um, you know, to track almost in real time whatever those ROI metrics are going to be for, for, for some of what you guys are, are talking about. So um, super interesting. Um, all right. Well, a couple more. Uh, one of the key uh, purposes that I started the podcast was to help. I had a unique entry point into this whole digital health world. Never would have thought that I I would be sitting here and, and even in the digital health world. So um, this is kind of our rookie healthcare leader advice, right? So uh, the purpose of this is, you know, maybe, and I know Zane, you had a unique entry into healthcare, but um, when you're looking at what this future of healthcare is going to look like, you know, what is some advice you have to people that are either in school now or looking mm. to kind of, you know, be in your shoes and be a healthcare leader or um, be a part of, you know, some of this change? Sure. Well, a couple things. I would recommend everyone start very small. You know, I still thank and credit, you know, my career to starting in a very, very small hospital in rural Canada. It was 58 funded beds on a good day, like dollhouse size hospital. And in that, in that hospital, I was able to learn so much because when you have a small administrative and leadership team, everyone has to do three jobs. Um, you know, when I came to Henry Ford Health System and walked around the corporate office, I realized there were entire divisions of corporate people that were doing the responsibilities that I had under one role. And so I think, you know, don't get caught up in trying to go to Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic in the case that you want to be in hospital leadership and all these big brands and get lost in the mix. Start small. You know, if you can find a critical access hospital or a tiny community hospital, get in there because you'll learn all of it. And the good news is, uh, you know, whether it's a massive hospital or a tiny one, they're all the same, but it's only within a tiny one that you can really figure out what all the pieces are so that you know what you're talking about when you go to a bigger place and you know, understand bed flow or staffing implications or what is it that diagnostic imaging actually does. And so I think starting small and not getting caught up, 
you know, in, in these big healthcare brands is probably a good idea. Um, the other thing I'd say too is, especially, and I see this, I don't know if it's just a Gen Z issue, but I see a lot of young leaders like very focused and adamant about, you know, getting FaceTime and networking with people with very senior and fancy titles, which makes sense. But don't, you know, don't discount the wisdom that comes from people that are just middle management or your peers. And like, when I think about the things that I really learned, it came from those folks. And frankly, it came from like floor nurses and in Canada, we call them unit clerks. So administrators who know a little bit about healthcare who are actually helping to orchestrate, you know, every department of, of the, the hospital. And so I learned so much from those folks too. And so again, I guess don't get so caught up on pedigree and flash. You know, you can learn a lot from the small, the unbranded and, you know, the people who may, may not necessarily be super high on the org chart. So that would be my advice if you're just starting out. Nice. I like that. I like that. I, I would just add, especially for someone who's coming up to the sales ranks or marketing ranks uh, to focus on making your brand relevant. Don't assume that because you put something out there organically on social or in an email or, you know, you have to learn the basics, basic rules of engagement for each of those platforms and how you're engaging with people. But don't assume that because you put it out there that it's making your brand relevant. If you focus on that, you sure. double down on that, then you're opening doors without even realizing it. And you're reducing a sales cycle. You're getting rid of a lot of the MQLs and SQLs, you know, the qualified leads that lead to nowhere that you don't end up winning. You can bypass a lot of that by putting some value out there into the world. That's where content marketing can really uh, accelerate a sales cycle. Because if you put good content out there, you're impacting and influencing those who are influencing your buyer at one point or another. So I would definitely like double down on that. I wish I had learned that earlier and I wish I still, there's still places mm -hmm. I want to get to in a better place with that. And then from a personal development standpoint, kind of like what Zane was saying, I'd also say like get informed about adjacent areas to the, the place where you are. So if you're in a health system, awesome, learn everything about it, but then learn what, what retail brands are doing. What's best buy doing. What's Dollar General at least claiming to want to do? You know, some of them are doing more than others. But what's what's MedTech doing? What's that health plan doing? Do you understand those? Learn those adjacent areas because they all connect. And also, especially like follow the money. Learn learn the economic engine oh, for each of those types of businesses, yeah. and you'll arm yourself with more information than than you'll uh, than ninety nine percent of everyone else around you, and that'll show through. Yeah, I think to Jared's point, just I would like to remind people like that the business of healthcare has not really changed. So sure, there's all these new brands that are getting involved and you know these disruptors jumping in, but they're still operating within the same economic framework to an extent that legacy healthcare providers are. are right, if they're trying to sell to Medicare Advantage patients, it's the same payment as as um, you know a, a traditional health system that's selling the same market. And so learning those fundamentals. And then help you see through the press releases and say, okay, what what is this company really doing? What might be their struggles? And a good chance there are going to be similar struggles that health systems face too. And so I think uh, again, going back to like starting small, where you can actually learn healthcare fundamentals, uh, and then you can scale it up and go, you know, work for someone fun or someone that's in the news all the time. 
No, I love I, lo- I love the blend of, of both y'all's experience because you know I I too very similar was I, I always point to the most fortunate part of my medical sales career was you know not this or that it was you know sitting in a rural North Carolina primary care office or being fortunate yep. enough you know to, to 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 you know to help with a patient an RPM in in, in rural Georgia right which I was calling Houston instead of Houston Georgia right like these are <laughs> oh um, fortunate. You know, these are fortunate experiences that I had, um, but but I saw people kind of trying to come from outside of healthcare and on a technology side and sell into healthcare. Um, and it wasn't just sales reps. I mean, these were leadership and people, you know, try to say, hey, we should do this. And then in my mind, I always closed my eyes and thought about, um, you know, that doctor's office and say, well, we can't do this, you know, and, and, and we must do this, but here's why, right? So I was super fortunate about that. But, you know, I'm also, you know, big believer in evolving. So, you know, although I can remember a time where I literally cold called and set up lunch and went and brought Panera catered lunch and like that was a cold call. I'm not, you know, one to say, you know, you got to earn your stripes and, and and do that type of cold call. You know, I'm, I'm a, I love leveraging t- technology. I love what you said, Jared, of, you know, building the brand, getting the right people. And, you know, there aren't going to be people that have the experience to just, you know, show up in a doctor's office and say, hey, can I, you know, observe what you do? But I think in absence of that, you, you, you really do have to, if you want to, you know, walk a mile in their shoes, truly get in and then get ingrained with some of those people. So I, I love, I love that advice. Um, all right, well, wrapping up, um, the last segment, um, you know, normally it's just, you know, quick sales plug or plug. So we'll, you know, about a minute each, you know, what, it, what, what, what do you have, you know, going on and, and where can people kind of, you know, find you or support, you know, what, whatever you're doing? Why, why don't you start, Jared? Oh, thanks for asking, Josh. Uh, I would say check out this podcast channel we're trying. It's called Shift Forward Health. So Healthcare Wrap is the main show on there. It's It's a weekly show there. But Shift Forward Health was meant to be one channel. It's kind of like HBO Max, kind of, in that you subscribe to one thing and you get a whole bunch of shows. So what we were trying to do is eliminate the the way that you have to go and find each show individually and subscribe to it individually. You subscribe to this one channel on any podcasting platform and you get three to four shows each week from different hosts. So you're getting this uh, this much broader view of the industry. You're hearing from Zane and me, but you're also hearing from, uh, from our hosts who are based internationally and those who come from different sides of the industry and represent a much bigger, uh, amount of the industry than Zane and I could on our own. So that's, that's the plan. There's eight shows on there right now. We're adding a couple more here in the next few weeks. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been a lot of fun to build that. It's, it's been out there for about a year now. Uh, and it's just the the goal is that's the channel for change makers. You know, if if you're interested in helping change that status quo of the healthcare system, then it's a place ideally to have a lot of types of different content there. So I definitely say, and, and it's all for free. I mean, that's that's the whole point. So uh, I definitely invite people to do that. And yeah, thanks for asking. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic. And I, I can attest to it. If you're interested in consumer driven healthcare, just healthcare and digital health uh, on the pulse. Um, and then I'll translate for Jared, basically, you know, what he's saying is, is that, um, you know, healthcare rap is the Game of Thrones there, right? Um, you know, the healthcare. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really awesome resource and it's been super helpful to me. Um, so appreciate you sharing, Jared. Uh, what about you, Zane? Anything going on? I think the thing that I would plug, um, so my day job, you know, I work with Avia Health Innovation. I lead our, help lead our consumerism team. And so if there's any solution companies out there 
trying to sell into health systems or health systems themselves who are looking for support around their digital health strategy. That's something that we do day in and day out um, and, you know, work with our hospital system members to help them understand the landscape of technology out there. And so definitely reach out. I'm happy to have a conversation and seeing how the Avia community and network uh, can best serve you all. Fantastic. And I wrote it down while you were talking, saying this is a, a bonus question. Um, any Ritz-Carlton in the U er, in the world, where would you go and which, which Ritz-Carlton would you, would you want to visit? Um, I would probably go to the one. So I've never actually been to one. It's on my goals list to go to. Um, I mean, it's just very expensive. But I would probably go to one in the mountains. So I know there's one, I think, in Vail. I like mountains. I like skiing. So I'd probably, if I was going to spend the money, I'd spend it there and, and ski. And then the Four Seasons is also very interesting to me. It's a Canadian company, by the way. And maybe in a separate show, I could talk about the story of how I got invited um, through an intern that I met at Henry Ford Hospital to come and tour their corporate headquarters in Toronto. But that's a separate story. Um, but on the Four Seasons side, I probably can go and visit like one of their flagship properties in Toronto, which actually isn't too far from here. And so... Those would be my two choices. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, guys, I appreciate the, you know, the support and jumping on the podcast and, uh, you know, Zane, Zane went ahead and threw a cliffhanger. Um, so we'll have to get together and uh, do this, do, do this, do this some other time. Uh, but thanks, Absolutely. Jared. Thanks, Zane. And uh, looking forward to you know, help educating and uh, following you guys on uh, the consumer health journey. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Digital Health and Sales Locker Room. I appreciate your support. If you're interested, make sure to follow, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or write on Substack. And make sure, if you're interested, to subscribe and share digitalhealthlockerroom.substack.com for some more podcasts and weekly newsletter updates on all topics around digital health and sales.